This podcast was recorded as my final project for Urban Planning 504, Urban History and Theory, with Professor Magdalena Devoa for the spring 2021 semester. In accordance with the subject, it was recorded entirely outside. A coyote walks into a Quiznos. This is not the setup of a joke. This happened in Chicago in 2007. This guy was obviously far from his home, wasn't he? Just like the bear from California's state flag that ended up at a town hall a few weeks ago, he was just trying to live his best life. Clearly, it wasn't going great if he ended up at Quiznos. Our modern human habitats don't accommodate non-human life very well. That's a big problem. Nature is the ultimate source of our well-being, and while we destroy it, we're suffering. But the existence of humans doesn't have to be at odds with the existence of nature. New evidence suggests we've altered nature to make it livable for us for at least 12,000 years. But we didn't destroy it. The difference today is the so-called intensity of use. Our approach is basically all or nothing, humans or nature. But we can have both. We need both. And coyotes need better places to go than Quiznos, like an actual habitat. We have that in common with the coyote. We're trading our evolutionary habitats for concrete. We need to expand on Jan Gale's visionary Cities for People to acknowledge that cities for people are cities for plants and animals too. We benefit from their habitats as much as they do, and we need to change our pattern of urbanization to reflect that. So, what the heck do we do? I get the feeling that everyone hopes we're on the verge of a breakthrough climate solution that just crystallizes everything. But what actually drives change, where a more sustainable world is actually imagined and created, is more often in the places quietly reinventing economies, trying piece by piece to make it work. So we have to start there. There is Freiburg, near the southern tip of the Black Forest in southwest Germany. Within an hour of Switzerland and a mere baguette's toss from France, it's an urbanist dream with planning lessons in energy use, low-car living, affordable housing, and preserving nature. And with a relatively low density, it offers the best of urban and suburban, which, in a growing world with a need for green, offers a valuable model, if it can be applied. The main challenge in replicating Freiburg's success is that they've done it through bottom-up engagement as much as any top-down prescriptions. So to reinvent our places, everyday people have to play as much of a role as professional planners. Like many examples of change, years of thankless toil by Freiburg residents eventually paid off after a major triggering event. Freiburg officials had wanted a nuclear power station in the 70s. Citizens stalled the process, and years later, the Chernobyl disaster triggered the city council to pursue a future-oriented energy policy. This would shape Freiburg's form and identity, and citizens have remained active in land-use planning ever since. The 
amazing development achievements you'll hear about soon, which have created the Freiburg that is today two-thirds green while housing a quarter million people, would not have been possible without a solid, bottom-up planning foundation, something that has to be somewhat organic, but also cultivated for decades. This is decades of having time to care. On average, Germans work a full workday less per week than Americans. Also, you might have heard about some health care issues in America. One-third of people here face cost barriers to health care, compared to only 7% of Germans. The increased time Americans spend working to pay for health care and other needs is a huge barrier to a bottom-up, actively engaged citizen planning foundation. That said, we need to explore what's possible. We'll zoom in on Freiburg's specific achievements in a bit, but first I want to give some context that will help convey how impressive and important Freiburg's model is when we do get to it. I mentioned humans have been living in and altering nature without destroying it for a very long time. It shows we can be stewards, like the example of indigenous British Columbians who actually made the original forest more food productive. But only recently have we thought it best to replace nature. Urbanization is the main cause, but it can be a cure, too, if done differently. Our wilder, greener, evolutionary environments keep us healthy. So if we're losing nature to urbanization, it would make sense that we're getting less healthy. Can this be proven? Extensive scientific literature reviews have looked at how much of the rise in depression and obesity, for example, might be related to ongoing urbanization. First, almost all studies on mood and anxiety disorders reported higher rates in urban compared to rural areas. The evidence seems crystal clear that, for whatever reason, our cities make us sicker. Second, since urbanization is actually often suburbanization, that turns out to be a problem for obesity. Almost half of the 63 studies from a review of sprawl and obesity found that, yes, the more spread out places are, the more obesity there is. It's worth asking why urbanization, supposedly a good thing, would be leaving us worse off. But our concrete jungles aren't adequate replacements for the actual wild nature they replace. We'll see how Freiburg has dodged this double-edged sword in a bit, but first, let's talk about what having nature in the places we live can do for us. Studies have shown residents of neighborhoods with more trees, more green space, more vegetation, have shown fewer symptoms of and been treated less for mental health issues. And how green people's neighborhoods were predicted depression and anxiety levels better than any other common illnesses, meaning the loss of green space might be the biggest reason urbanization makes us sicker. And nature could even help bridge inequality? What? We know depression rates tend to increase the poorer someone is. Well, a study last year in Germany found that less wealthy people, as long as they lived by a lot of trees, had the same antidepressant prescription rates as wealthier people. So just living by trees could alleviate the mental health impacts of poverty, 
and probably just about everything else bad. Then wouldn't you expect a place like Freiburg, which is literally half forest, to have a lot happier people? There's even evidence that exposure to nature lowers obesity rates. Nature's interaction with your internal processes can correct imbalances that would lead to obesity, like lack of sleep, trouble processing sugar, inflammation issues, and a bunch of chemically stuff that you could look up if you really wanted to. All this to say a nature-filled place like Freiburg is going to be healthier in these ways and so many more that we don't have time to talk about because nature never stops working toward balance. So here we are, Freiburg. After all that buildup, it better be good, right? Imagine a city nestled into the forest edge among rolling hills with an old medieval town center and groups of distinct neighborhoods. Full of character, very lively, but laid back. Today, only 32% of the city is for urban development, and it's less densely populated than Champaign, Illinois. Almost half of land is for forest alone, not including recreational uses. Knowing what we do about green space, think about how much impact this much of it has on residents' health. Especially in their newest developments. These magical, futuristic neighborhoods, but like futuristic in a very down-to-earth way. This is what I want to talk about. During the 90s, a growing Freiburg added two districts that further innovated on its green approach. The first was Rieselfeld, planned to house 12,000 people on about 200 acres. They ended up leaving the original land, a recovering former waste site, 75% intact, turning it into a nature conservancy, and only built on a quarter of the land, meaning their comfortable but not sprawling density makes room for nature. Planning a development like this would upend two American habits. First, our piecemeal development caters to sprawl, not planned districts. And second, we simply choose to make room for other things instead of green space. Then there's Vauban. It was and still is a heavily wooded area. They kept it 70% wooded while making room for the 5,000 residents. Just like in Rieselfeld, a tram line runs through a green corridor alongside foot and bike paths. 70% of people live within 500 meters of a tram stop, and the transit works here, unlike in most suburbs, because it actually is dense. Transportation planners say the critical mass for transit is about 2,000 people per square mile, and here they're around 4,000. Setting aside that green space to begin with actually forced them to develop a little more densely, and it ends up working out in terms of walkability and bikeability as well. Maybe the coolest part about these developments is how their ownership and design has actually the potential to facilitate upward mobility. And it's another thing you get when citizens, not developers, create their own city. 70% of Vauban's land area was sold to small builders and Baugruppen, these amazing build-your-own-but-own-it-together housing co-ops. 80% of Vauban's housing is considered affordable because people chose their materials, and Rieselfeld's small and self-build emphasis also dropped its cost to 25% below average. When the people can help run the show, it's amazing how much fixing they can do all at once.
The bow group and building co-op model has helped these areas develop comfortable density and housing affordability, enabling transit, walkability, bikeability, and saving green space. And their street design, outside of the main arteries, treats cars as guests to give a distinctly non-suburban, or maybe neo-suburban, did I just coin that, feel to these technically suburban neighborhoods. This feels like a model for a future where we basically trade cars for nature. That's going to be the neo-suburban manifesto. So what can Freiburg, in particular these two little suburbs, tell us about U.S. development? Freiburg took ownership of its city, when people there have gotten together to decide what they want and refined that idea for 40 years, they've realized that living with density helps preserve nature and facilitates efficient mass transit. Would Americans find the same thing? Maybe not, but we too can take an interest in government and set our own development priorities. Maybe we have to an extent, but our imagination can be limited. It helps to see what's really possible. The great thing about what actually drives change, it can start with somewhere small that just did it. So we don't have to wait for the country to change. We can drive the change. Addressing the embedded race and class issues where people of color and people in poverty tend to lack access to nature, which they would most likely benefit the most from, remains a key issue that Freiburg can't really tell us that much about. But everyone stands to benefit from us figuring out their model. The sheer weight of our problems and the tremendous power of nature seems like a synergy waiting to be activated. Can planners challenge traditional development like Freiburg has to save nature and ourselves? We can try. We can write it into plans and never stop talking about it, but ultimately we need people to take ownership and planners can help people believe it's possible. We can bring up these examples, even make a blueprint for what it could look like here. Most people inherently value nature. All they need is some empowerment. And I mean, we have food co-ops, why not building co-ops? It's not that big of a leap. And we set aside money for sprawling development incentives. Why not invest in denser, greener, more long-term solutions? Freiburg shows us we don't have to go back 12,000 years to live with nature. If they had coyotes, I bet they'd have better places to go than Quiznos. <laughs>